Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Greg, how you doing? Dude, you you got to be sick of me by now, man. I mean, we, <laughs> we have seen each other so much. Two, you know. two last night, one tonight. I know. Dude, if you start calling me Joy or I call you Lisa, <laughs> well, this, thing is, this thing is done. <laughs> I'm saying I'm shutting it down right there. But, uh, I love Nathan. And I know he loves me, but I'm sure that, that would be a little, yeah. uh, a little too much loving I, going I'm, on. Yeah. I'm impressed that you guys could be together as often as you are and not be at each other. I know, man. There, there, there's something. There's it's, grace working it's, there. It's right? a work of God. Something going on. Yeah, work of God. Nathan's a man of great patience and tolerance. So therefore, oh, uh, that's the key. That's the way it kind of works. Right. Just like Lisa. Exactly. Woman of great patience, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, how this is going to come out uh, to our listeners is always a little harder to tell. But uh, we're doing this on March first. This is, uh, as you said, Nathan, our third in yep. 24 hours, basically. Uh, and it's been fun. Yeah, we just did the one on Stephen King yep. uh, yesterday, just sort of a fun uh, bonus episode, the mm-hmm. one with Nathan Bartleball yep. on the Oscars. That was a lot of fun, but... I think Nathan, this is the one. This we're, is we're this is this is um, this is the one that we've been keeping under wraps. First, we want to mention Steve Hartland. Yeah. He's joining us for this one, um, and our special guest uh, Tullian Chavigian is joining us tonight. Tullian, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing okay. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. And um, Tolian, we um, we want to give you a chance to just go ahead and tell us what you do and, and uh, things that are going on um, down there in Florida and make us all jealous of the nice weather that's going on down there. <laughs> We're already there. Um, but first, we want to let our listeners know because we know that they're going to come back and ask us. There's a lot of things that have been going on with you the past year. We're not here to talk about that stuff. What we want to talk about is how um, your theology and your um, just trust in Jesus Christ has sustained you in your life, um, including this past year. And so we want to make that perfectly clear on the outset to our audience. So don't send the email saying, why didn't you ask him about this? Why didn't you ask him about that? Our focus, our purpose is to just talk to you about um, the sweet grace of Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, Tully, and just, uh, tell us what you're, tell us what you're up to down there. Well, uh, it's, it's down here to you guys, but from where I'm originally from, it's up here. Uh, I, I moved, I moved from my hometown of Fort Lauderdale, uh, to Orlando, which is about three hours northwest of Fort Lauderdale, uh, back at the end of August at the invitation of a church, Willow Creek Presbyterian Church, the PCA Church, just outside of Orlando in the city of Winter Springs. And the pastor of that church, Kevin Labby, is a friend, and he emailed me back in August, and I was in a very, very bad, bad place at that time. Bad in the sense that I wasn't sure what I was going to do, uh, I was uh, not only confused about life, but I was confused about the church. I was dealing with a heavy dose of regret and guilt and shame and loneliness and anger and all of those things, and was pretty much begging God to show himself to me in a very tangible way, because I didn't know if I was going to make it. I really didn't. Uh, it was the darkest night of the soul I had ever experienced in the 42 years that I've been alive. And um, and I got an email from Kevin Labby one night, and he basically said, listen, uh, you need a church, you need a pastor, you need elders, 
and you need a new place to live. If I can work all of those things out, mm. would you be willing to come? Wow. And I, yeah. I jumped on it. It was literally the, the word from God, the answer from God that I was desperately seeking. And so could you, I could made you, a couple uh, of friends. Could you, could you talk huh? to him for me, please? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind living yeah, in Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, uh, for me, it was moving north. Uh, so it was, it was tough. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, after making a couple of trips up here to talk with the elders and to talk with Kevin, um, and I made the transition here at the end of August, it was very, very, very painful. It was a very difficult transition. I was incredibly grateful for this church and these people who would welcome me and in a sense, commit themselves to nursing me back to health, loving me back mm. to life. Nice. Um, because I felt very dead at the time, but it was still very difficult for me because South Florida is my home. Fort Lauderdale is my home. It's where I've been for many, many years. I grew up down there. Um, I absolutely love Fort Lauderdale. I loved the life that I had. So, Disconnecting from the people that I love and the place that I love was very, very difficult. But, um, but it, you know, that that's been now six months ago, and uh, during that time, God has really made Orlando my home, and He's made it feel like home because of the people that He has surrounded me with and the church that He has uh, given me in that regard. And so I'm, I'm very grateful. But my my role at the church is actually very limited. I'm. I'm basically on a paid sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, could so, you talk to him about me, please? And it's really, you know, I mean, it's it's basically just enough to kind of, you know, get the bills paid. But uh-huh. um, mm. but they're they're mm. they're they're taking care of me in a very gracious uh, and generous way, and um, and they that the elders have uh, put together a care plan for me, a process that I've been walking through. Um, which involves lots of things, uh, professional counseling, uh, meetings with the pastor, meetings with elders, uh, obviously in regular fellowship with people from the church, um, uh, you know, being in worship, obviously, and just sort of being uh, involved in the life of the church. And so I'm living a very, very quiet, uh, a very, very somewhat peaceful uh, anonymous life mm-hmm. in uh, Central Florida, and am enjoying, and really, really, really enjoying, and very, very grateful for the time that I've had off, and you know, not speaking, not preaching, not writing, not preparing sermons, not leading meetings. I go to staff meeting every week at the church just to sort of be involved with the staff. I, um, I'm, I'm with the, Kevin has become one of my dearest friends, and I meet with him on almost a daily basis. And wow. we go over, we just go over everything from what he's doing at the church and ways I might be able to help. We talk about his preaching, we talk about sermon series, we talk about theology, uh, and we talk about my life. And he's been walking with me very closely for a number of months and. I just don't really know where I would be without Kevin and without Willow Creek. Wow. Nice. That's so great. And um, again, we, we are here to talk about your theology, to talk about your faith, to talk about Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to go ahead and um, turn you over to uh, Greg, um, who's got some questions for you. So, Greg? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tully and I, I, one thing that I didn't prep you for, but I thought I would ask you, 
Um, your connection to Steve Brown, um, who <clears throat> I know you guys have done some conferences together. Um, could you just uh, satisfy my own curiosity on that? How, how long have you known uh, uh, Steve Brown? What kind of role has he played in, um, uh, in your life? Yeah, well, uh, interestingly, Steve Brown was instrumental in getting me up to Orlando because his home church is Willow Creek, the oh, church okay. that I go to. And so, and so he lives about a mile and a half from me, and uh, I get to see him every week, and he's been integrally involved in uh, this process for me. He has been a part of this process since even before I moved from Orlando. Uh, he was right there in the thick of everything with me, and he was for me. And Steve has known me since I was six years old. Wow! Uh, he has he has known he, he was he, my dad was one of his closest friends. Uh, he's known my mom for gosh, probably forty years or so. Um, but he's known me since I was six. He was pastoring Kibis Kane Presbyterian Church in Miami for seventeen years. And my paternal grandparents lived a portion of the year in Miami and another portion of the year in Europe. They're from Europe, but they had a house in Miami, and they would live in Miami for six or seven months out of the year. And Jesus came with their home church. And so even though it was about 45 minutes from where we lived in Fort Lauderdale, about once a month we would drive down to Miami and go to Steve's church and I remember from the time I was a little boy, uh, sitting at Kibis Kane Presbyterian Church and listening to Steve preach. And I just remember even back then, I was never excited about going to church. Mm-hmm. I mean, church to me was relatively boring. I didn't really understand what the preachers were saying. I didn't really like the music, but there was something about Steve. He would sit on a stool hmm. and he would talk. He, it was it was a very different kind of preaching. He was very conversational. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very real. He was very approachable, and um, and so we kept in touch over the years. But we really reconnected when I went to seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and Steve was one of the preaching professors there. And so we reconnected there, and he's just played a huge, huge role in my life. And it bothers me to no end when I hear people. Criticized Steve. He's a you know he's he's, a, he's 75 years old now, but um, you know he's quite known for saying some relatively shocking things on purpose because yes. he recognizes that both people and the church need to be shocked into a better understanding of grace. But regardless of what Steve believes, Steve the man has been my pastor for years and years and years, and uh, that guy would take a bullet for me, and I would take one for him. Wow. He is a non-blinking friend of the <laughs> highest order, and I love him with all my heart. Man. I like that phrase, non-blinking friend. Yes. That's a good kind to have, isn't yes. it? Yes. Say, I wonder if, uh, I, this is Steve, I um, wonder if we can get you talking then about grace, 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 and the gospel, and your understanding of what the gospel is, and how you would articulate the gospel with with that emphasis on grace, you want to speak to that? I I would love to speak to that. I've um I've spent the better part of my adult life speaking about that and mm. um and love speaking about that. The the doctrine of grace is my lifeline. It's not just 
a category for me. It's not just a theological category. It is my functional lifeline, and even more so now than it's ever been. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, the gospel, as I understand it, the gospel of grace, as I understand it, there are a variety of different ways that you might be able to articulate it, but um, one of the ways that I articulate it is just the gospel is the good news um, that Jesus has done for me and secured for me what I could never do and secure for myself. Mm. Um, that he said, you know, that the Christian faith is rooted not first in the transformation of the Christian, but it's rooted first in the doctrine of substitution, mm. that Jesus came to for me what I could never do for myself. Mm-hmm. And therefore, my relationship with God is entirely based on Christ's work for me, not my work for Him. It's based entirely on Christ's performance for me, not my performance for Him, which is very, very, very good news, because the sober-minded would realize very quickly that if God's love for them was dependent on how good they were, or how well they performed, for the purity of their obedience, they would be in the soup. They would be in trouble. Uh, And so there has to be an answer outside of us something above and beyond us, and and the gospel is that good news that comes to us from outside, announcing that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And, um, you know, one interesting thing, and it's important to me to point this out, you know, when all of this happened to me, and I really crashed and burned, um, and it was an, an incredibly sticky situation with 10,000 different dynamics at work. And so, mm. um, and so there was a lot to process and a lot to think through. There was a lot of, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of that stuff. And, you know, some people speculate, well, you know, this is, this is the result of believing <laughs> in grace too much. Yeah. Grace too much. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, this kind of this kind of thing happens. Uh, lives fall apart uh, when people believe in grace too much. And my comeback to that is my crash and burn happened not because I believed in grace too much, but because I believed in grace too little. Mm-hmm. When I was when when I was when I was faced with the most daunting of circumstances and. Uh, you know, the most enticing of temptations, if I had believed with all of my might that everything I need in Christ I already possess, Mm. that God's radical grace in my life has provided me with all of the resources I need so that I don't have to go outside of Jesus Mm -hmm. to save myself, to rescue myself, to free myself, to satisfy myself, you know, whatever the case may be, um, then, you know, these things don't happen. These things just don't happen to people who believe in grace too much. They happen to people like me, who in those moments believed in grace too little. So grace is never, ever, ever to blame for someone's sinful behavior. Ever. Yeah. Mm. Grace, grace is the answer to our sinful behavior, mm. yes. but it's never, it's never the reason for our sinful behavior. And those are, those are some deep lessons that I have been learning over and over and over again, and really thought that I had learned it to the, you know, to a very deep degree, uh, and then you go through something like this, and 
God's sake, to into even deeper waters. And now more than ever, I'm able to say, if this stuff isn't true, I'm completely screwed. Yes. Completely yeah. screwed. Yes. yes. Um, so. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very good. Now, uh, as you have come back and said, no, no, the problem is that I didn't believe in grace enough. And some, uh, I don't know, do you have any critics? Some critics have heard you say that. Uh, what's their comeback to that? Do they do they really keep going arguing that uh, no, you you have too much grace here? You know, I've I spent the better part of the last six and a half months or so not really paying a whole lot of attention to blogs and <laughs> tweets and, and articles. And I mean, one of the things that has been a huge blessing to me is outside of a few tweets of pictures of my kids or family just to let people know that I'm alive, yeah. and outside of a, a you know a Facebook update once every three months or so, huh. I'm really offline. Yeah. And, uh, and, that sounds and that's, great. And that's, and, that's, and that's part of the process for me. I'm not, I'm not offline because I'm being told by someone to be offline. I'm offline because I need to be offline. I, I, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen yeah. with me. I have not come out on the other side of this, uh, you know, in, in the sense that I'm done processing it. I'm still very, very much in process. And sure. I'm very, very grateful to God that I am not where I was six months ago yeah. um, or seven months ago or eight months ago. I'm in a very different place. But there's there's still a lot of work that I am asking God to do in me and on me. And so, and so I'm, I'm sort of not really paying attention. I, I actually love living a quiet offline life right now. Yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing that scares me more. In fact, I was, I was hesitant to even accept you all's gracious invitation to be on this podcast, even though, you know, I mean, I, I love you guys and I'm very grateful for you guys, but I was hesitant only because I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, I don't want, you know, I, I just don't want to hear the noise anymore. Sure. I just mm-hmm. want quiet, and I want peace, and I want to heal, and I want to, I want to continue this process of confession, and repentance, and healing, and uh, just, you know, sort of, um, just getting recalibrated in yeah. every way, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically even. I went through a a very difficult phase this fall physically. I had to have back surgery, which I've never had surgery in my life. So I had to have back surgery. I mean, God really took my legs out. I mean, he really, not just emotionally and mentally, but I mean, physically, I was, I was literally without anything that I would normally depend on. And, uh, and you know, as much as you hate going through that kind of a thing, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, literally, I'm not kidding. I, I, I told my mom the other day, I said, you know, this past year has been marked by so much death and so much pain and so much destruction. And, and the crazy, crazy thing is, and this is only God, but the crazy thing is that I feel more content and more at peace now than I did two years ago, three wow. years ago. Mm. Wow. Um, and, and, and sometimes it takes losing everything to get to that place where Jesus plus nothing really does equal everything. Mm, yeah. And uh, mm. and so I've got a long way to go, a long, long way to go, but uh, I'm very grateful for the path that God has me on and the people that he's surrounded me with. Wow. Nice, man. Hey, while we're still on the topic of... Uh 
grace and the gospel. Um, Greg mentioned Steve Brown a few minutes ago. You guys talked about him. What do you think about? Make some comments about Steve Brown's phrase, his awesome phrase, God isn't mad at you. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard that, and I didn't like it. Oh, I I really liked it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was like, I I mean, wait a second. If if I don't ever believe that God is, you know, vengeful toward me, then what incentive do I have to actually pursue holiness? Mm. What incentive (laughs) do I have to be good and to stay away from the bad stuff? And um, and of course, my understanding at that time was that um, you know the law and the threat of the law is what inspires godliness. Hmm. And of course, the Bible makes the Bible makes it very very plain that while the law uh, shows us what godliness looks like, the law in and of itself doesn't have one ounce of power to make us right. godly. Yes. The law the law can show us what sanctification looks like, but the law itself doesn't have the power to sanctify, which is Paul's point in Romans 7. So so at the time, I didn't understand that distinction, and so I didn't like it. I really felt like, in order for me to do the right thing, I have to feel like, at some level, God is kicked off of me. And that might be just the incentive I need. But now, you live a little bit of life, you know, you, you live, and you fail, and you crash, and you burn, and you see other people fail, and crash, and burn, and you go, you go from being a, a young idealist to uh, an older realist, and you realize, my gosh, the greatest incentive to pursuing holiness and practicing godliness is the unconditional love of God that yeah, doesn't yeah. waver. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and I think that's what... You know, I think the, the Bible makes that clear. I mean, if we want to define sanctification as love for God and love for others, then we have to then ask the question, well, what produces love for God and love for others? And First John tells us, we love Him because He first loved us. So mm-hmm. it's love, love, not law. Not because He's bad at us. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, uh, so I love that phrase, and not only do I love the phrase, I'm very very grateful that it's true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, but would you agree? I, I think there are probably many, many Christians who spend lots of time feeling like, ooh, I did that bad thing. Now God is mad at me. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a, obviously, you know, when doing theology, you have to be a very good friend of nuance. Yes. And so, I mean, you know, Hebrews makes it very clear that God in love as a good father disciplines us. Um, and I think oftentimes Christians interpret God's loving discipline as his anger toward mm-hmm. us, uh, or his wrath toward us. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I, one of the things that I always tell people when dealing with that Hebrews passage is it's very, very important to understand that God's loving discipline comes our way for the purpose of setting us free. So when when we are engaged in our own slavish self-salvation projects, God will lovingly discipline us because he cares about us, and he wants to set us free from our bondage. God doesn't discipline us by putting us in our room. He disciplines us in order to set us free so that we would enjoy the freedom that Christ came to secure for train wrecks like me. 
So, you know, I mean, I think when some people um, get upset with that phrase, well, what do you mean God is angry? You know, it says in Hebrew that he did, well, yes, discipline does, but he does it in love. He doesn't do it in, he doesn't do it from a posture of vengeance. He doesn't do it from a posture of wrath. All of that stuff was poured out on Jesus. Yes, amen. So that that we would experience God's unconditional love. And I I think, um, and I think it's, it's important to understand that, you know, I mean, our, because Jesus fulfilled all of God's holy conditions, um, God's love for us is wholly unconditional. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's just, that's good news. And I, and I know for a fact, because Steve and I have talked at length, and have, you know, just talked theology at length, but that's exactly what he means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he says it that way, uh, because it's true. He also says it that way, because that kind of communication skill is required to shock people into a deep understanding of God's love. Yeah. You know what, uh, uh, Tullin, you broke up a little bit. Could you tell us that last part? You said Steve says something in a, I think, a shocking, provocative way, and I think we might have missed what that was. Yeah, I mean, Steve says it, Steve says it in that easy-to-understand and captivating way, because uh, yes. he, he under, he, I mean, he's just a great communicator. He's yeah. a, I mean, he's a world-class communicator, and he, he, under, he understands his audience. He understands that uh, we are by nature, addicted to our own self-salvation projects, that we are by nature conditional beings. Yes. Uh, we live in the context of conditional relationships. Conditionality is the air that we breathe. And so in order to get people to understand the radical unconditionality of God's love, you've got to say stuff that kind of shocks people into understanding that. Yes. Um, and so he's just a master at doing that. He's not a shock jock in the sense that he's trying to bring attention to himself. He says those things because he loves people, and he really wants people to understand God's love at a deeper level. Yes, yeah. It, let, me, um, let me just share something with you, sort of a, uh observation, Tully, and, and you tell me if I'm, I'm tracking with you. Um, one of the things that drew me to your writing, your preaching, when I came across it years ago, was I, I was having a hard time expressing it, but I would hear so much emphasis, even in sort of the reformed centrist evangelical community on the grace that sanctifies, which amen, it does. And and you've even talked about that too, that I, I began to feel like, and we actually did a podcast about this. Remember guys three or four months ago Mm -hmm. that, uh, it almost felt like every sermon I was hearing for a while from so many different people was sort of like, uh, now listen, God's grace, yes, it covers our sins, but God's grace leads us to holiness. God's grace takes us down the path of change and sanctification. It, it, uh, you know, Amen, it, it does. But it almost felt to me like um, grace was being a little bit de-emphasized, uh, that grace that does cover us, wash away our sins, change us. And uh, something that, that has always sort of bugged at me is I, I thought, what do people think about themselves when they're quote-unquote living a holy day. And I started looking back on my life, and I started to think, okay, okay, Greg, t- take your best day, whatever that was. <laughs> you know, maybe one of those days where I, I truly woke up early and I was praying, 
Um, and and I and I was thinking, you know, about what I was praying. I wasn't thinking about a old Gilligan's Island episode or something like that. And you know, I um, had an opportunity to share Christ with somebody that was lost. I I you know did something kind. Um, you know, I was uh, you know serving people. I just a, a, the best possible day. And I thought, I guess that's what people would say is a really good sanctification kind of day. And I started to think about that. Okay, that's my best day, which, to be honest with you, Tullian, I don't think I've ever actually Doesn't had. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even, uh-huh. even if I had it, you know, even if I had that day, um, I started to think, okay, for, for a solid 30 seconds in that day, did I love God with every fiber of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And I kind of came to almost despair. No, I didn't. And when I started reading you, Tullian, and, and listening to Steve Brown and others, there was such an infusion of joy because there was such an emphasis on the fact that his grace always makes up our deficit. And I think sometimes people have this sort of black and white, you're walking with the Lord or you're not walking with the Lord. Do you think I'm right to say even when we're quote-unquote walking with the Lord, there's a lot of sin and junk that, that is there? I mean, does, I mean, how does that, that sit with you? Yeah, I you're right. I mean, I, the, the funny thing is, um, some of the some of those out there who uh, would charge people like us with being antinomian, which is, you know, some some of your listeners may not know, but uh, and most of them probably do. But antinomianism uh, antinomian is a phrase that is a word that Luther or Luther coined, which simply means anti-law, against the law. And so people hear us, you know, talking about the radicality and the hilarity of God's grace, the imputed righteousness of Christ, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. Um, and, you know, if, if they're not listening carefully, they might think, oh, well, they just don't care at all about living the Christian life. It's all about grace, 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 and then they go live like hellions. Right, and uh, what's fascinating to me about that is um, my view of the law is not low; it's incredibly high. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this was Luther's point. You know, the uh, the problem in the church today is not cheap grace; it's cheap law. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that we can do it, that we can pull it oh, off. Good. That we have, and, and I was I was actually preaching last year. Um, a little, little over a year ago now, a sermon on the Ten Commandments, and uh, was making my way through each of the Ten Commandments and showing just how pervasive God's demands are. That we read through the Ten Commandments, and you know, we think oftentimes like the Pharisees, well, I haven't murdered anybody, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount interprets the Ten Commandments and says, well, I tell you, that if you've ever been angry, you're just as guilty as the murderer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he tells us that if you've, you know, you think you, your Pharisees think you're doing good because you haven't committed adultery, but I tell you, if you've ever lusted, you're just as guilty. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus takes the law and presses it down deep, so deep that it convicts all of us. It judges all of us that not only does God demand perfection on the outside, he demands that the perfection on the outside is motivated perfectly on the inside. 
Yes, Tully, uh, Nathan's going to ask you something, but I just had to share. I was going to share a quote from your book, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, that I have loved. Uh, I've quoted it a few times uh, in the past, and I'm going to give you the, the stage in a second, Nathan, yep. but it just tied into what you said, yeah. where your quote is, to focus on how I'm doing more than what Christ has done is Christian narcissism. Hmm. And, man, yeah. thank you, because <laughs> you just really explicated that so well. But ask away, Nathan. Yeah, so my question... Well, well listen, let, let, let me say this real quick in response yeah. to that. The, the only reason I know that to be true is because I am one. Right, right. <laughs> so so it's, not, it's not like I'm standing up here going, you guys are Christian narcissists and I've got this nail. I'm going, I am a Christian narcissist because I am way more obsessed with how I'm doing yeah. than what Christ has done. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. So, anyway. That's so great. Uh, my question is, so there are many people out there who are 
struggling as believers, and it seems like many of them get into this never-ending cycle of, I'm a Christian, so my life is supposed to look differently than an unbeliever's, but to a certain extent it doesn't because I keep falling into sin, I keep falling back into some of these old patterns. How can we as believers find joy in the gospel in that? Mm. How do you find your joy in the gospel when you wrestle with that day after day after day? Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, first of all, I, I, let me say this. Let me preface what I'm about to say by saying this. I, um, When I was a brand-new Christian at 21 years old, I was out to change the world. I was going to evangelize the world. I was going to be the next Billy Graham. I was going <laughs> to, uh, you know, I was going to, I mean, I, I was going to change the world. And then uh, you live life. And, uh, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, you struggle in your marriage, you struggle with your teenage kids, you, you know, people in your life die, you experience the reality of a broken world and living with other broken people as a broken person. And so my perspective now has changed quite a bit from the time I was 21. I'm 43 now, and instead of saying, I'm going to change the world, uh, I say, you know, I can't change, my gosh, I can't change uh, my kids, I can't change my friends, I can't change myself, much less the world, thank God for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the process. So the, the process of sanctification, for me, has been going from believing more in myself to believing less in myself, mm. uh, to, you know, believing that I'm strong, to actually believing that I'm weak, uh, you know, I mean, the sanctification process is not an upward climb. It's sort of, it's downward. It's, it's growing downward in our understanding that, you know, Christian growth is not, I'm becoming stronger and stronger and more and more competent every day. Christian growth is, I'm becoming increasingly aware of how weak and incompetent I am and how strong and competent Jesus was is and continues to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, it's more, it's fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and not being spiritualized navel gazers, which, you know, I oftentimes am, especially during this season of my life. I've, just, I've become probably more narcissistic, going, how, how am I doing? Am I learning every lesson that I need to learn? Uh, am I growing the way that I need to grow? Um, I mean, it, it, in hard times, it actually becomes more tempting to become narcissistic, but, you know, I would just say in order to, 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 you know, to answer the question, where do people find joy when they're struggling as broken people? Number one, for me, is embracing the fact that I am a broken person, that, um, that while on the outside, it may look like I've changed a lot since I was 21 years old. I'm not sure I've changed that much on the mm-hmm, inside. Mm-hmm, yep. I, still get, I still get angry. Mm-hmm. I still get jealous. I still have insecurities. Uh, I still get frustrated at things I shouldn't get frustrated at. I'm still selfish. Um, and so as I've gotten older, I've become better at, you know, sort of masking those things so that people don't see it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I'm not really sure I've gotten that much better. And so if Christianity, if God's love for me is based on my progress rather than Christ's perfection, Mm -hmm. I'm screwed. So I think the first first thing for me is to just embrace, listen, I'm I'm a train wreck, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you compare, if if, if the standard is not how much 
which I've changed over the years, but if the standard is God's perfection, then I'm a train wreck. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a failure, and I'm not celebrating that failure. I'm just announcing the fact that I am a failure. Yeah. And so that actually, that actually lightens the load a little bit, because now I'm not trying to hide from who I really am. Uh, I'm free to embrace who I really am, a broken, trained, wrecked sinner, loved and saved by God's amazing grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is, Luther said it best, you know, I have to preach the gospel to my people every day, I mean, every week, because they forget it every week. And I have to preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. I mean, yes. we are, we are, we're just guilty of gospel amnesia. I am. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think reveling in the truth of justification has been a huge, huge help for me uh, in the darkest days of my life. And that hasn't... And to, let me say this, too. I, I, um, I was actually talking to Steve Brown immediately after all of this stuff happened with me, and I, I really crashed and burned and hit a wall. It's just a plague. I mean, the horizontal consequences of my sin are profound, mm. profound. Mm. I mean, I, I, you know, just they're just profound. Um, and so the, the consequences themselves have been, the, you know, the hammer of God's law in my life, which has crushed me in, in a way uh, that has been good, because then the gospel can come in and cure me. But, um, but he said, you know, within a moralistic framework, if your understanding of Christianity is moralistic, uh, which sadly most of the church is that way. Uh, mm. When something like this, when something like this happens, when a pastor or a Christian leader or just someone in the church, when they sin, uh, a moralistic framework doesn't really know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it just it's like the whole system collapses if they try to incorporate this into it. And he said, you know, in a in a real sort of gospel-centered paradigm, um, you know, where grace is the centerpiece of our understanding of Christianity, um, grace, that, that paradigm doesn't excuse the sin, and it doesn't justify the sin, but it has room for it, in the sense that, I mean, in the sense that the whole system doesn't collapse because of it. And so one of the reasons that the Church is so... Um, has been historically not very good in dealing with things like this is because we are moralists by nature. We don't yeah. like messy things, and the church is supposed to be the church is supposed to be filled with uh, you know clean people who do clean things, and uh, you know I mean they're fine with you uh, preaching uh, you know grace until you do something whereby you need. It. They're fine yeah. with you. Telling, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're fine with you telling people that you're a broken sinner until you actually do something that broken sinners do. Right. Um, and so, if 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 I don't know what God's going to have me do, I may work at Walmart for the rest of my life, and that would be fine with me. To be quite honest with you, um, but if He, in any way, shape, or form, gives me an opportunity to um, to speak to the church, to speak to pastors, to speak to Christians. I mean, because of everything that I've been through, you know, I've seen the worst of the church and the best of the church in this. I've seen the worst of Christianity and the best of Christianity. And and I would just love to see the church and Christians in particular 
be better equipped to handle things like this because they have a more robust understanding of the radicality and hilarity of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit then about the relationship between the gospel and works and obedience, because um, we want to preach um, grace and we want to see grace preached um, like there's no tomorrow. Uh, But at some point in, in a person's life, there should be an, an outward reflection of what's going on inside. And so can you talk to us about some of those outward signs and those outward works of, of what is going on inside? Yeah, I mean, when, you know, when a heart is grasped by the radicality of grace and the gospel of grace, um, you know, I mean, there are fruits. And uh, those fruits are oftentimes different than what we think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fruits happen to be things like humility, um, repentance, uh, honesty, a willingness to show your messiness, mm-hmm. a willingness to be honest about who you really are, a, you know, a sort of a, um, a freedom to share your secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, because your worth and your value and your significance is not anchored in your performance, but is anchored in Christ's performance for you, mm-hmm. you are now free uh, to basically confess your sin, repent, uh, be humble and gracious toward those who uh, are in a bad place, uh, even 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 people who are in a bad place who are unrepentant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Realizing that it is, it is uh, the gracious love of God that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so, I think you know. I mean, those those are the kinds of fruits that you begin to see. You begin to, you know, people become a little bit less critical. They become a little bit less defensive. Um, they operate more from a posture of deference than preference. Um, you know, there there is uh, one of the one of the beautiful things that the gospel does is it sets me free in this way. Uh, since I no longer, uh, since all that I need in Christ, I have all of the worth and value and significance and love and acceptance and approval. Since all that I need in Christ, I have. I am now free to give everything to you without taking anything from you. Now, that is a game-changer when it comes to relationships in particular, Mm -hmm. Um, because so much of our time and energy in relationships is spent, consciously or unconsciously, (laughs) trying to secure for ourselves something that we think this person, that we need from this person. Mm. Um, And when we realize everything we need in Christ we have, now I am free to give you everything without needing that to be reciprocated. Yeah. And and that really is a reflection of the one-way love of God that we have been given in Christ. Man, I'm loving this. This is Steve Tully, and uh, I'm loving this. Uh, I'm just remembering some specific conversations I've had with people who, well, in this case, used to be part of the church I pastor. And, and I, I've actually run into many people who are Christians but do not self-identify with the idea that I am broken, 
Yes. They rather say, no, actually, I'm doing pretty good. Right. I'm, I'm living the pr- Christian life pretty well. And then they give me examples. Like like when I'm at work and somebody says something that's a really bad joke, I don't laugh at it or whatever. See, I'm, I'm a really good Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just floored by that. Uh, and, and I feel so bad yeah. for them that they don't recognize how broken, how twisted, how messed up we all really are. And so how, how much we are in need of in need of grace. So I think you I'm should really feel bad for me, Steve, because I would laugh at a joke like that. Hey, but here's, here's another thing for you. Uh, another question we'd like to ask you, Tully. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the apostle Paul said to his people, uh, it is through many trials that we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is just full of trials, difficult situations. If you're not in one now, wait a while. It's coming. It's going to get you tomorrow. Uh, and sometimes when, when Christians fall into some terrible situation, the, the net result is they walk away from faith in Christ. They get disillusioned, walk away from church, walk mm-hmm. away from faith. What would you say to such people? Yeah, um, gosh, you know, I, um, I mean, first of all, when Christianity is, uh, is sort of uh, propagated, or presented as a self-improvement program, mm-hmm. where, you know, I mean, it's God's blood, sweat, and tears that got us in, but it's our blood, sweat, and tears that keep us in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the focus of the Christian faith becomes the life of the Christian, and instead of it is finished being the core message of the Christian faith, just do it because our message of the Christian faith. <laughs> yeah, when, good. You know, when, when that happens, I don't blame anybody for walking away. Uh, <laughs> I, huh. Literally, I go, of, of course. I mean, if, if that's what Christianity is, then I'm walking away. Yeah. yeah. I don't blame it. I, I, I was speaking at a, uh, I was speaking at a, a university, a secular university, about four years ago. And they had asked me to come. It was sort of spiritual emphasis week, and they had a Buddhist come, and they had a Hindu person come, and a Muslim wow. came, and I was a Christian who spoke. And so I, I presented the gospel uh, and retold the story of Jonah and presented the gospel that way. And um, and I just said, listen, if if you're going to reject Christianity, that's 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 your business. That's between you and God. Uh, I'll be your friend anyway. Uh, I've got Christian friends and non-Christian friends, and I, I just love people, so I'll be your friend anyway. But if you're going to reject it, reject the real thing. Don't reject a caricatured version of what mm. you may have heard mm-hmm. growing up at church or what you saw on Christian television or, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, the, the Christian faith is the best news in the world because it tells us about a God who loves broken, messed up people, because broken, messed up people are all that there are. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, have to, we don't have to do anything to earn His love or His favor. We don't have to do anything to try to satisfy our own longing for acceptance and approval. God does all of that yeah. for bad people, because bad people are all that there are. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to reject it, you know, reject that. And so I, oftentimes when I talk to people who have walked away from faith, it's not that version of Christianity that they've walked away from. It's a caricatured version mm-hmm. that has them feeling like they just don't measure up. Yes. They just they don't measure up. Christianity must, if this is what it is, if being good is required in order to be a Christian, then I don't qualify, yeah, I so why, yeah. why pursue this? 
know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Tully, and we are uh, running down on time, and we want to be aware of your time. But before we end up closing up and signing off here, is there anything you'd like to say to people out there? Uh, yes. There are lots of things I would like to say. <laughs> the, first, um, the first and most important thing that I would like to say uh, to anybody uh, who is listening and anybody who has been affected by my selfishness and my sin is I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you may have been shocked. Some of your listeners may have been shocked by what happened. Um, frankly, I was shocked in many ways. Uh, and I shouldn't have been because I, if I would have known my own heart better, I would have probably been better prepared. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I just, I am, uh, I will probably spend the rest of my life bumping into people and apologizing. I think the thing that, the thing that bothers me the most about what I've done is the fact that people have been hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, I gave myself to a calling from God that uh, was given in order to help people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I hurt people, mm. uh, regardless of what the circumstances may have been, the fact that I hurt people, um, just it, 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 it makes me sick to my stomach. And, and I, um, I just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just sickly sorry. And, um, and I, I hope and pray that somehow, some way, God will use uh, everything that's happened in my life uh, to showcase His amazing grace, to showcase His strength, um, to show people that the gospel is true, um, and and I, I hope to be communicating with people uh, just in private conversation the reality of the gospel in a deeper, more far-reaching way than I've ever done, because... Mm-hmm. Because I'm forced to get it at a deeper level right now. If it wasn't, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say this flippantly. I'm gonna say this very matter-of-factly and very really. Um, if I didn't believe that this was true, I would have killed myself. Wow. I know I would have killed myself. Mm. I was tempted to kill myself. Yeah. I mean, I was genuinely tempted to kill myself. And the thing that prevented me was I wish I could say, well, you know, it was the love for my children that prevented me. But when you're so devastated by your own depravity and your own messed upness, you're not really thinking about, well, I'm not going to do this because it would hurt my kids. You're so discombobulated mentally and emotionally. But the one thing that kept me uh, alive was my belief that God had not abandoned me. Because God love for me is not dependent on my performance mm-hmm. or my obedience. And and what's so ironic about that, talking about fruit like we were a few minutes ago, um, knowing God has loved me at my worst has made me want to love him more, not less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah, Amen that's, to that. that's so good. And, you know, we just so appreciate your heart for the gospel, your heart for uh, grace, um, your heart for repentance, um, and we are uh, 
you know, we are praying for you um, yes. as as a little podcast group here. And, yep. um, you know, we just, um, you know, we want to let everyone know that um, one of the reasons why we aren't um, we aren't bringing anything up from your private life is because we realize that we don't know you that personally. Mm-hmm. And we know that there are people in your life who are ministering to you and preaching to you and speaking to you. Um, and, and so we want to let them do that. And we want to encourage our listeners that, you know, when, when someone of fame uh, in the Christian community uh, falls into sin and temptation and, and it's very public – that there are people in their life that will come around them and they will do what is necessary and appropriate in God's sight. And we don't need to jump on them. We don't need to get on them. Um, we need to just show God's mercy and grace and love them yeah. as Christ would. Sweet, amen. Amen, Nathan. And-, well, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate you saying that, and I really do. I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for the church, that I am now a part of. Uh, I'm grateful for the pastors at that church. I am grateful for the elders. I gladly submit to their spiritual authority in my life. I need spiritual authority in my life. Mm-hmm. And they, they are the ones walking with me day by day, and week by week, and month by month. And so if they, if they told me to stand on my head and count to 20 without an explanation, I would do it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because, you know, I mean, I, I trust them and sure. they, you know, they, they're, they're loving me at my, at my worst and my, at my neediest moment. And, um, and I, I trust them. And so I, I, I appreciate you saying that because it is very tempting. It, it's very tempting for me when someone, uh, you know, that the public figure, you know, makes a mistake or sins or falls or whatever the case, maybe says something that might be stupid or whatever. It's very, very easy for me, um, you know, to try to, figure out what the motives were and what's going on. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is you just have to trust God is not going to leave this person alone. Yeah. God is going to surround this person with people who actually live life with them, who will tell them everything they need to hear and show them everything they need to see. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just super ridiculously grateful that God has mm. done that for mm. me. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Nice. Tell him just a, a last thing. I just wanted to let our listeners know this entire conversation has been you uh, en route um, from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale, correct? And you've done this in the car. Yep. Uh, you know, well, yeah. obviously hands-free. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, you were up, you got your Bluetooth or however you got us set up there. But uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I have not, I have been, uh, I have been on speakerphone the whole time. Wow. And uh, yeah. I have, I have kept the speed limit. My yeah. seatbelt is on. <laughs> uh, and... This conversation has in no way threatened my well-being or my Good. life. Uh, we so. are so glad. We are so glad because we can't always say that about each other when right. we talk. Uh, but that's a whole other different matter. Uh, but Tully, I mean, I can't tell you. I I feel like all of us are looking at each other in the little room. We're doing this now, and it's a um, just. I feel like honestly taking a, a fresh dip in grace and mm-hmm. um, just to revisit the gospel and what our hope is. Uh, again, thank you. Um, for all that you have said here and all that you have done and said and uh, given to the church in, in your life. It, uh, it means a lot. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating at all when, when I will say, for me, this this time was amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been a blast. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casper. These go to 11.